Blog Talk Radio. The following broadcast is brought to you by the iGolf Sports Network. Golf Talk Live is sponsored by the iGolf Sports Network and Golf Tips Magazine. Here's Andrew to tell you more about our sponsors. iGolf Sports is a live stream broadcast and media production company providing quality programming designed to attract the golfing enthusiast. And Golf Tips, the game's most in-depth instruction magazine, including reviews on the latest equipment, tips from top teaching professionals, all designed to help you improve from tee to green. Welcome to Golf Talk Live with your host, Ted Odorico. Join Ted each week as he speaks with some of the best in golf. This week's special guest will join us a bit later. But first up is another great discussion on Coach's Corner. So let's introduce tonight's Coach's Corner panel. All right, good evening, everybody, and once again, welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico, and we've got a great show for you this evening. And uh, we've got a, a couple of great uh, professionals joining me tonight on the Coach's Corner panel. Uh, so I'm really excited uh, to have both of them on. And uh, a little bit later on, I'm going to be joined by my special guest, Kyle uh, Groth. He is the co-founder and CEO of Whiskers Laces, uh, a, a brand that's been around since about 2018, is, I believe, when they officially launched. Uh, we'll get all the scoop from him a little bit later on. But it's a very, uh, very interesting uh, company and uh, really a, a lot of... Uh, thought went in behind things, and we'll talk to him, as I said, a little bit later on in the show. But um, we're going to get right to it. Um, this is the first show, obviously, of August. We're getting into the, the fat part of summer, as they say. So uh, always uh, always good to uh, keep things rolling. So we're going to do that right now with uh, Coach's Corner. So let me introduce the guys, and we'll bring them on and get started tonight's discussion. Uh, first up, of course, is Pete Buchanan. Uh, Pete's been teaching now uh, uh, golf for 30-plus uh, years. Uh, he's the founder and director of instruction uh, for Plain Simple Golf LLC, which, of course, houses the Plain Simple Golf Circuit and the swing, uh, Simple Swing Repeater Training Brace. Uh, and he obviously enjoys helping uh, golfers focus on building a repeatable swing. Uh, also joining uh, tonight um, is my good uh, friend as well, uh, Clint Wright, a 30-plus year member of the PGA as well and one of the partners at TGM Golf. TGM Golf is, of course, a big proponent of the R3 approach. And uh, I like to think he's one of the best covering the short game and uh, obviously another favorite in addition to Pete uh, here on the Coach's Corner panel. So, guys, uh, welcome to the show. Glad to be here, Ted. Yeah, thanks, Ted. Good to be here. I appreciate it. And, and Clint, uh uh, again, thank you for, for stepping up tonight. I know you typically are at the end of the month, but uh, you weren't able to make it, obviously, as we talked about last month, and John and I uh, certainly held the fort, so I appreciate you were able to uh, come back on uh, tonight's show and sort of make up for that. But um, So we're going to get into things. I'm going to start in the order uh, that I introduced you. So, Pete, we're going to start things off with you. So there's really two areas. We're going to talk from a perspective of the uh, instructor slash teacher slash coach, whatever camp you want to uh, put yourself in or all of the above. Um, we're going to talk really specifically about some of the things that you need to do to prepare uh, yourself for uh, the season and whatnot. And then we're going to talk a little bit, if we have time, how to make the most out of your golf lesson. Of course, I'm referring to uh, from the players. We're going to have some questions there that uh, we'll try to get uh, your perspective on that, what the players should do uh, before they come to see you and maybe even uh, during the process. So, uh, Pete, I'm going to start... Uh, with you, and I'm going to ask some of these questions I'm going to ask of both of you, 
um, just because I want to get you know some different perspectives. So the first one is, as an instructor, what are you looking for during the lesson? So when you've got somebody, and you can use either or example if you want to use from a new person uh, that's never been out there before, that's maybe coming to you the first time, or somebody that you've been maybe working with for a few years and uh, they're coming back uh, again this season uh, to get your help. As an instructor, again, slash coach, what have you, what are you looking for during the lesson? What, are, what is it that you're looking to see from them um, as you uh, prepare to, uh, to give that lesson? Well, again, thanks, Ted, for, for having me on. Clint, looking forward to it. You know, it, it really depends a little bit on, you know, what, what lesson you're giving. So if it's somebody that I'm having for the first time, uh, at the beginning I'm, I'm obviously looking for, you know, what their habits are and what the tendencies are and looking for the causes of why they hit the shots they hit. But I'm also going to be asking them questions so that I can get a feel for how they learn, whether they're going to learn more mechanical, more audio, where they do it, where they're going to listen or they see it. So I'm trying to phrase some things that will give me some feedback that helps me understand how they're going to learn. Um, and once I get that down, then I can, you know, move the lesson relative to how I want to move it based on how I feel they're going to learn the best. And if I've had them around for a while, then I'm going to go right off the bat to say, practicing, what are the things that you've been working on? How are they going? What do you feel you have questions on? What sort of things that, you know, you feel that you've really got down? Uh, what things do you still need to work on? And then, you know, we'll sort of base the lesson from there. But I'm, I'm trying to get a, a sense of, first of all, on a new person, who they are, you know, what they do, where they're from, how they're going to learn, and then somebody who's been around for a little bit, just trying to take them at the spot they're at and then try to move down the, the, the road and continue to work on getting them to where they need to, to, to be so they can understand fully what they're trying to do. Well said. Uh, and, Clint, I imagine you concur with a lot of what Pete said, and maybe there's some other things that you want to add to it. Maybe more from a perspective of somebody that's, that's taken some lessons before. Um, maybe you've worked with them for a little bit over the, over the uh, early part of the season. Um, I'm sure there's certain things that you're looking for. Maybe one of them I can think of myself off the top of the head is, have they really been paying attention uh, throughout the season? Right. Are they you know, doing, ingraining some of the things that we've talked about already? So go ahead, give me your thoughts. Um, and again, you're welcome to choose either or a, a newer player or, or somebody a little bit more seasoned that's been working with you. But uh, just give an idea of what you're looking for uh, when you're getting ready for that lesson. Well, I, I agree a lot. You, you, if it's a new student, you get to they have to know you and you have to get to know them and see just how much, what their status is get some baseline videos of what they're doing now, things of that are. If it's someone you've been working with for a while, you have that data already. You've got videos from season all the way through. And what I do at that point is try to have a conversation. Uh, what data on your round look like? Where's your scoring swing? How many greens you're hitting? Kind of information. Then we can start looking because it's kind of gotten away from them, we want to go slide that video again and says, okay, here's what it looked like when you were hitting it, and here's what it looks like now. So where's our problem area? You know, and you want to make sure that you're fundamentally playing the club face, you know, assess where they're at compared to where they started, and, and then with them from there. 
Yeah, I think there's a lot of, and obviously there's a lot of variables in, in anything that you're doing. Again, depending on the, the level of the student, whether they're newer, um, whether there's somebody that's been working, uh, or even if they haven't been working with you, but they've been working with another coach, um, obviously the first and foremost is you want to assess where they're at right now. It doesn't matter what they were yesterday, and we don't know what's going to happen down the road quite yet. Hopefully we're, we're going to guide them in the right direction. But the idea is we want to find out where they are right now. Uh, and, and it's important to ask those, as Pete pointed out, and, and you as well, uh, Clint, is, is to ask those questions, to have that conversation. I think one of the biggest mistakes that we've seen in the past uh, with golf instruction is trying to teach necessarily to a method uh, or methodology, if you will, um, for everybody. Uh, what might work for one is not necessarily going to work for somebody else. So I think asking those questions, getting where they are uh, right now, and then finding out and putting a plan together, which brings me to the next uh, question, Pete. I'm going to start with you on this. So once you've had that conversation, and again, if you want to use one as an example just for, for clarity, um, do you have a set game plan on what you want to tackle first in the lesson? Uh, if so, what might that be? Well, the first thing I'm always going to look at is, you know, face control for me. I, I want to make sure that, that they've got control of the club face because that then leads to everything else being a little bit easier to achieve. So I want to make sure that, uh, you know, the club face is, is getting to where it needs to be and then they understand how to get it to where they need to be. I mean, that's something that's that's paramount for what I'm looking for. So I always have a game plan to make sure that the, the face is right relative to what we're trying to do. And then from there we can work the rest of it uh, at pretty pretty simple end. You know, most players are going to react to what they see. And so if the club face has been an error, then you can you can bet, you know, for the most part, if the ball's, you know, losing off to the right, they're probably aiming and swinging left. And if it's going off to the left, they're aiming and swinging right. So, you know, you got to get the club face under control first, and then you can start to neutralize everything. And, and you know, as we've talked about before, I'm, I like to teach to neutral because right and left are easy to find if you know where straight is. So I always try to go right. neutral first and then back away from there to find out where they're going. And, and what they want to do, then you can you can teach them shapes a little bit easier. But I'm going to look at the club face first and make sure they have that under control. Yeah, because it, it, you know, I mean, they can. Most people can, for the most part, can swing the club halfway decent. But if they haven't got control of the club face, um, you know, that's a multitude of, of sins, as they say. Uh, all kinds of things can happen, and it's not just a matter of being open and closed, but it's a matter of. Uh, how the club face is approaching the ball, you know, as an example with the irons, I mean, it's, you know, it's, you're, you're striking down onto the ball and through uh, in order to help to create that backspin, whereas, you know, with your woods and, and particularly your driver, you're hitting it more on the upswing, so uh, to get that extra height and, and launch. Uh, Clint, I'm going to ask you the same question, but I want to tweak it just a little bit. So obviously, okay. you know, again, you've had, had that conversation and you want to tackle uh, maybe some specific things. But what I want to ask you from a little bit different standpoint is this. Um, you've obviously, at this point, through the conversation, through the discussion, you've identified and maybe watching them hit some, some faults, um, as well as some, some positive things. Do you think, and just based on your experience, is it better to start with the positive things sort of as a reinforcement and then say, but, you know, here's a few things that we could tweak a little bit better and, and help improve. Um, as opposed to just sort of coming out from the, the gate and hitting them with all the negative. And, and I hate to use the word negative, but you know what I'm talking about, uh, right, you right. know, with some of the areas that they're really struggling with. Um, how do you feel is best to approach it? Because you want to cover both. You want to show them what they're doing wrong, and you want to show them, uh, obviously, what they're doing right. How do you approach it? 
Well, I, I think you're you're right, I, and I agree with Pete. We we want to start looking at what they're doing with the or the golf club, the club face, how they're managing that. But what I really try to do is assess where they're at. Okay, um, and what I want to do is to narrow down what needs to be worked on. So through that assess of the student, I, I'm going to show them everything they're doing. Because what I want them to be able to do is to relax on the things they're doing right. So I'm going to show them that. They're going to point out, okay, here's what we need to work on. All this other mm -hmm. stuff is working fine. We want to make sure they understand that. Because one of the things that we see a lot, I think, Pete, everybody that teaches will see it, is that the student will go, and unless they leave there with a clear that they want to work on this area and this area only with these drills, don't worry about all the other things you're doing right. Because if you right. if you get off that path, you're going to keep doing the wrong thing, and then you're going to take something that was right and turn it wrong. Uh, right. So we want them to leave there with a clear understanding of what they're doing good to where they won't mess with it, but then also a very clear understanding is that we want to make this negative portion or that what we're not doing quite fundamentally as sound as we are maybe some of the other, other things in the swing. We want to make sure they're very clear on that forward and then we want to build that that portion of their swing that, that we need to work on we want to build it into a closer relationship with what they're already doing right so with that in mind they need to know both what they're mm -hmm. doing right yeah they i need I, to know what they need to work on yeah i i agree wholeheartedly i i think it's important for golfers to have that positive reinforcement to let them know what they're doing right and you're exactly right clinton your analogy is we want to focus specifically um, with drills and so forth on what they need to improve or, or make adjustments on and not bother with the other stuff. Obviously, they're going to keep working on those things to keep them sound, but you don't want to start doing it. The last thing you want is somebody that's got a pretty good grip to start suddenly monkeying around with that, thinking that's going to help this other issue over here, which may have nothing to do with the grip. And then all of a sudden, they've got a bad grip on top of the other things that you've been helping them to work through. So uh, you're exactly right. Absolutely. I think you have to... Yeah, and, and I think we've seen that too many times where the student kind of takes it upon. So you have to be, uh, I, I think it, this is where communication comes in very, um, you know, very importantly from the instructor standpoint that they clearly understand. And I think one way to do that is, you know, obviously if you're able to show them through video and things like that, it makes for some a little bit easier uh, for the learning process. But I think you also have to, get them to acknowledge what you've said, not just, mm -hmm, yeah, whatever. You want them to, to let you know that they understand what you're getting at and getting them to sort of not just repeat it, the words that you've said, but explaining it back to you so that they get it. Because um, that's another thing, too. A lot of times people just agree, okay, yeah, I get that, and they really don't. Uh, but they're too embarrassed or they don't want to seem you know, stupid or something by, by not acknowledging it. So sometimes you have to, when giving them the information, you've got to make sure that they give it back so that you understand that they understand. Right. Um, I, I think that pretty much covers it. Um, so, Pete, another thing, too, is obviously, again, I think we've learned over um, you know, the last decade or so particularly that we're all different when it comes to our swing. Some are um, you know, a little quicker maybe. Some are a little bit slow and, and uh, methodical about their swing, for lack of better words. Obviously, we have different shapes and sizes of, of folks out there, and and different ways that we can approach it. Um, but most people, if they're coming to, to any one of us, need some sort of a change to, to be able to um, 
you know, improve their, their game. But how much change is too much? Where do we cross the line or not cross the line in making changes? Is, is it can be harmful if we make too much change, and particularly too much change too quickly? Well, that's a, that's a great one there. Um, you know, I, I think for <laughs> You're me... You're welcome. <laughs> um, yeah, thanks, Ted. Um, no, I think for me, I'm, I'm always looking at cause and effect. And so, you know, you're always going to be able to work yourself into the, the simplest movement of, of why things are going on because you've got to get to the root cause. And the root cause, if you can change it, you know, you can probably get three or four or five other things to take care of themselves by changing one. And that way you're not doing too much. If you get to the root, it's going to be simpler to get the rest of it done. Um, and I, I think, you know, you, you, you've got to start from there. And I think if, if the root cause is, is something that's going on with either the setup or something that's going on with the backslinger, I think you've got to concentrate on that and then let everything else flow from that. I don't think you can give them, you know, too many options at one time. You've got to get to the root cause, get that under control, and then see what's going on with the ball flight and then gradually work towards the rest. So I think that's how you can simplify it. But I think from a standpoint of giving them too much, I mean, if you're trying to work on, on back and through and shift and weight and club, and I mean, you could work on 17 things at one time if you really wanted to, and that's just too much. I think you have to concentrate on, on what the specific area of concern is that's causing what they're doing, and then start from there and then, and then build the process from that point. Yeah, well said. And Clint, just to add, um, if you've got some things you might want to add to it, um, you know, obviously you want to see what the result is of what they're doing right now and from there work backwards and say, okay, this is what the result is, um, this is what's happening um, to the ball, as it were, and here's we're going to work back to find the problem. Um, what do you think as far as changes that are needed to be made? Obviously there's going to be some in most cases. Um, is there a point where we can make too much change and actually make the, the process harder and more difficult for the student um, because now they've got so many things they're working on. Um, how do we find balance and not do too much too quickly? Well, <clears throat> I, I think it's, a, it's a, one of the things that make great teachers great teachers is to recognize their student and what their capabilities very well may be. And so we end up with a lot of folks that if we can help them correct and get fundamentally sound just a little better, then we then evaluate, okay, how much time is my student going to practice? How much are they going to play? You know, have we got 10 years to work on this or 10 days? You know, it depends on where you're going. And, with and you also have to keep in mind what the student expects. You know, we work with people who can't break 100, so if we can get them down where they can shoot 90, you know, they're tickled to death. So we have mm -hmm. to evaluate the student and what time they're going to have to practice and work on certain things. And I think we started the simplest, what do you fundamentally sound to get the ball in the air and move it forward? And then you decide and see how that reacts. What do they do from there? Is there anything that needs to be corrected? You know, I'm, I'm with Pete, that root cause you get that and see what happens. And most of the time, students will move forward if you can keep them from not moving forward too fast. We see people, well, this is doing better now. If I do this and this and this, you know, all of a sudden they've got 
14 things that are working on at the same time, and then lose the improvement root cause. They haven't worked on it long enough for it to be normal, or they do uh, in their golf swing. So I try the students to slow down. I, I try my best not to let them get ahead of me. And if we do that, then we move the student in a fashion that, that they contain the improvement. And, and that's what it comes with them to have something that you need to work with and work on, but most it in a satisfactory form. In my opinion, it's try to move the student along as slow as possible in one thing at a time. You know, what have I learned today? Yeah. One thing. What have we done better today? And then the next time we get together, if we got that worked out, we'll <laughs> learn something new. You know, at some point, you have to say, okay, this is good enough to do. Now let's go play some golf. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's. I, I think you're, you're exactly right. I think it's important that, you know, in addition to helping them in, in whatever area it might be, is we've now got to put it in into uh, performance. It's not just a matter of working things out in the range or in the practice area. Now we've got to get it out in the golf course and put it into a real-life situation because if they're not able to do that uh, and make that transition and be able to um, – focus on on some of the things that we're helping them to work on, then it really doesn't matter that much. And then you end up in a situation where they're great when they're in the lesson, but then as soon as they go out and play, everything just sort of reverts back. And that's something that's been common for a lot of folks is they tend to revert back. When people, especially if they're doing something, you know, I often see this with, I remember, and I'm using myself as an example, um, when I was quite young, my you know my father helped me a lot with with golf. He was a very good golfer, and um, you know he would always help me with the grip, and that was an area that I always struggled with very early on. And he said it's going to feel uncomfortable because you're used to doing something different. And it took me a while, and eventually, obviously, I got it right, but um, it was. And when it was too uncomfortable, I would revert back to some of the old mistakes that I made, and that's something that we see uh, a lot. So this is where, and this, the reason I bring that up is, is this sort of leads me into uh, the next question. Pete, I'm going to start with you on this, and, and that is how do you know if training aids is something that he um, often was, uh, was big about as well, or, or obviously he didn't have the devices that they have now, um, but he would use certain aids that he used. Um, how do we know if training aids or devices, uh, electronic or otherwise, are necessary for the lesson? When do you decide as an instructor that it's time to bring some other uh, device or what have you aid to, to assist in the process? Well, I think first of all, you got to understand, you know, how they learn. I think those that are, that are visual, those that are mechanical, I think training aids are great for them um, because especially the mechanical ones, because you can get them uh, with the training aid on to really feel a difference in, in the type of movement or type of structure you're trying to do. Um, those that are, that are more audio that just listen, I don't think training aids work as well with them, although they, they could. Um, but I think, you know, you just have to assess the student and where they are. And, and if you're trying to get them to do something and they're not quite getting it done, then, you know, I, I won't hesitate to bring a training aid in because that'll give them, you know, a, a better feel for what we're trying to accomplish. So I think you have to read them a little bit. Um, and then you also have to look at, you know, making sure that that training aid is for one specific thing you're trying to do, um, trying to accomplish to, to get them a feel for, for something that you want to put in there. So, yeah, I think, you know, you just have to look at them. Um, 
you know, again, evaluate where they are, what they're doing, you know, how they learn. Um, you know, some for some, you know, I'm, I'm obviously an advocate for training age because I developed one. Sure. Um, but, right. you know, um, I, I think it's, um, you know, they're not for everybody, but there definitely are times when, when they can really take it uh, to a certain point. I mean, I used one last night. I had a, a, one of my guys that I've been working with for quite a while, and uh, I finally just said, look, I'm going to put you in this, and I want you to make a few swings, and, you know, you could just see the light bulb come on. And so, you know, mm-hmm. there's, there's a times when you have to do it. And he just looked at me and says, that's what you're talking about. I said, yes, that's what I'm talking about. So well, I can finally feel it now. So you just have to assess the situation. And then, you know, I, I don't think it's necessary to see how like you see those, those videos where, you know, somebody's got 17 training aids going on at once. I don't think you have to get, you know, that kind of thing going on. But, you know, you definitely can, can pinpoint some things that you're trying to get them to do and, and use those aids to get that point across and get that feel across for what you're trying to accomplish. Right. Well said. Um, and, and Clint, just to add to that, if you want, um, you know, to, to Pete's point is, you know, there, there is a time and a place for it, um, but you can kind of go overboard a little bit too much with the training aids. I mean, sometimes uh, it's certainly appropriate to, uh, as he used it, to help his student to be able to understand the feeling that he was trying to convey, because sometimes people don't understand when you're explaining something and a training aid can, can step in and, and do that quite nicely. Um, but as we've talked about things like with electronics um, as well, it, they're great and have a place for it. But if we're overusing um, some of these aids and some of these devices, um, that can also um, work against us a little bit too. Uh, your thoughts? Uh, <clears throat> I can't add a whole lot to what Pete said. I mean, I think he was <laughs> just spot on with, with the whole point. And here's the only thing I can add to it, is that the thing that I see with training aids is that they they can be a lot of wasted money and time if it's not specifically designed to help you with your problem. You know, the training aids generally are very specific in, in right. what they're trying to help you do. So if you get the right one, they could be great positive. If, you, if you're thinking that this is going to help you do this and it's really not designed for that training, then it, it could be a negative, too. And I think that's what Pete was bringing out as well. You know, make mm-hmm. sure that the training aid you choose is meant to help you with the, the part of your golf swing you need to improve on. That's the only thing I can really, you know, emphasize is that make sure that it's the proper aid for what you're working on. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, we, for impact bags, as an example, have been around for a long time. Well, there's a specific function. It's to help you uh, work on impact, and it's not really designed uh, to help you understand the grip, let's say. So, you know, again, bringing out the right training aid or the right device for the appropriate uh, issue is, is, is critical because, again, there's a lot of things out there. Some of them are multifaceted and can uh, do a, a few different things, uh, but there's some out there that are designed specifically for one area or for one understanding, I guess is a good way to put it. And if you're bringing it out and it's not really designed to do um, what the issue, current issue is, then it's going to be very um, confusing for them and hard for them to understand and grasp the, the point that you're getting across. Um, Clint, since you uh, didn't have to really inject too much, I'm going to come back and we'll sort of re- uh, work in reverse. We're now going to jump over and that, uh, to this area here from the player or the student's perspective, and that is how to make the most out of your lesson. And this is from their perspective. Um, so... I think one of the first things that you want to be able to do um, as a student 
is find the right golf instructor. So how do we go about doing that? What's, what are some tips? If you, were, if you were sort of giving some advice and you were not in the business that you were doing, but you were talking to somebody that said, hey, you know what, I really want to work on my game, and I was thinking about getting a, you know, a coach or an instructor or what have you, what would you advise them? Well, first of all, you, you have to do a little bit of homework and research to find out who in your marketplace is really a well-thought-of instructor. And there's going to be a, a several. I mean, you can call around the golf courses and ask or, um, you know, maybe your local golf association or groups out there. You can find a friend or somebody that can give you an advice. Well, go, go and see this person or that person. I think that those personal reviews are extremely important. Uh, and then to be honest with you, I think that if you have a, a select two or three, uh, set up a time to go by and just speak with them. See if, it, see if you're comfortable with their, with their personality and, and what you can fit in. And, you know, I, I think it, it's difficult to know, but I think it's also easy to find out if you're in the golf community, that word-of-mouth advertising is the, is the best thing going. And you just have to ask some questions and ask around the local golf courses because the golf pros and the, and the people who run the golf shops, they know. And, and they're going to not generally single out one person or two maybe uh, unless they're specific to their facility. Yeah, this guy here is good. Uh, that's what you would expect. But if that's the case, then try to set up a time to go speak with them and see and to let them know what your objectives are. Yeah, I don't think it's a one-way communication. Hey, here's what I'm trying to achieve. And and to be honest with you, in today's world, uh, the way golf is booming, do you have enough time for me to be one of your students? Because right. you know, I want to be able to do something on a regular basis. What's your schedule like? Is Am I going to get a lesson on once a month? Is it going to be every other week? You know, here's what I expect of my instructor. Can you deliver that for me? And so that right. communication back and back and forth is is really good, but word of mouth is huge out there in our in our industry. But I guess mm-hmm. if anything else, right now, do you have time to take on a new student? Yep, yeah. and it's great points, and, and you're exactly right. I think it's time for the student to now do a little research, to ask questions, to do a little bit of fact finding, if you will. And um, you know, I, I agree with you. Reviews are are good. Um, I personally like the personal uh, word of mouth, if you will, or uh, personal reference. So somebody that's maybe worked with that individual to get feedback. But the, the key thing is, is it boils down to personalities. Um, you know, you might have a golf instructor. Again, you know, I think they're all good, but maybe the personalities just don't gel as well uh, with one another. Maybe they're a little bit more um, direct and to the point, and uh, you know, are typically maybe have dealt with a higher caliber uh, student over the years, so they're not used to or maybe haven't done it for a while with a real beginner, so they tend to be a little bit uh, faster paced and whatnot. And that may not be what you need. Um, you may be looking for something different. So I agree with you. I think you need to do your homework. I think you need to ask around, visit uh, you know some of the local courses if you've got a few there, or contact associations uh, in your area and just say, you know, here's what I'm looking for. Can you recommend you know two or three? And then uh, go from there. Uh, Pete, I'm going to bypass you on this one because I think it's pretty much uh, self-explanatory. Um, but there's obviously many reasons why you want to take a golf lesson from a player standpoint. Um, you certainly want to, uh, maybe you, you, you want to compete. Uh, you know, obviously you're 
might be also learning to play for social enjoyment or, or some other reason. Um, is it important, first, this is sort of a two-part question, is it important that you set yourself or have an understanding of some golfing goals of what uh, you want to set for yourself, um, and do you necessarily have to have them set before, or is this something maybe you can work together on uh, with the person that you select? Uh, very good. Um, no, I, I think you should probably have a little bit of an idea of, of what you want to accomplish before you start. And then it's definitely, you know, that's one of the first questions I'm going to ask them when they come in is, you know, what do you want to do with your golf game? You know, if, if I, if we step forward a year from now, what would your golf game look like if you had it like you wanted it to look like? And then we'll take that and I'll, we'll see if that's realistic or not. Um, you know, sometimes it may not be. Uh, and, and, you know, many times it is. So, yeah, I think it's definitely when you're walking into a situation, you want to have an idea of where you want to go, you know, what you want to achieve, and then it's definitely a conversation to have with your instructor to say, hey, look, this is what I want to do. Um, you know, can you get me to this point? And, you know, is it is it too far ahead? Is it not enough ahead? Am I being too little or too much? And then, you know, your instructor is going to be able to, to work with you and, and give you a sense of, you know, how we can get you there, the time it's going to take to get you there. And, you know, it's like Clint said before, then you have to ask the question, how much are you going to practice? How much are you going to play? You know, and that's going to factor into, you know, how far they can, they can move themselves along relative to what they want to do. So I think it's definitely something that you want to have in mind before you step in there. But, again, it should be a conversation you have with your instructor to, you know, make sure that they, they understand what you want to do and the instructor has a, has a game plan to, to get you to where you want to go. Yeah, I think it's important to have certainly some uh, um, a variety of goals. And I think one of the first things, you know, from an instructor standpoint that we need to ascertain is why do they want to play golf? What is their what is behind it? In other words, are they just wanting to? As again, maybe it's a social thing. Um, maybe they've got some friends that play golf and they'd like to take it up to be able to be included in some of the activities that they do involving golf. Uh, or maybe they, you know, again, you know, it can happen at any age, but, you know, maybe they're a little bit younger and they're looking to play, uh, you know, some level of competitive golf. So I think really the first question needs to be asked before we really get too far in the weeds with goals is why are they playing the game in the first? Why do they want to take up golf? Why do they want to play the game? Um, so that we can understand, because, if again, if it's, you know, a, sort of once in a blue moon or, you know, they're not really wanting to be too serious, then that's going to dictate really what their what your goals or your help with their goals is going to be um, there's no point in, in you know getting too too deep if you will if they're just you know maybe a, a occasional weekend warrior or, or what have you but if they're a little bit more serious and really want to take a, a good stab at the game then that might involve uh, not only having a long-term goal but maybe setting some s smaller goals along the way to help them achieve that ultimate goal of, again, maybe playing competitive golf. So um, some great uh, great points there, Pete. Um, Clint, I'm going to come back to you on this one here. And so we've, we've selected our, our, our instructor, um, and we've maybe set some uh, goals, and now it's time to take our first lesson. What should we be doing uh, to be prepared for that first lesson? When we show up at the, at the course, what is it that, again, sort of you want to see or you want them to do in order to be prepared properly? Well, there's, if it's a, a new student, somebody that hasn't played before, there's really not a whole lot they can 
to do other than have a little enthusiasm. They want to play. You know, uh, if they have equipment, make sure they bring it with them. Be on time. You know, be always be on time. Uh, if it's a person has played for a while, before they take the lesson, I would in the first conversation on the phone or wherever it is. I want to see some of their data. I'd like to be able for them to give me an idea, somewhat of how they're playing now. Okay, uh, so I'm not starting cold turkey. Uh, I'd like to know if the, you know how many. What's their average score? What's their handicap? Possibly give me some idea of how many fairways they hit. You know things of this nature. How many times a week do they play in practice? Just basic information and data on how that person is playing right now to where we know what we've got a starting point, you know. If I get a player that's played for a while and shooting 100, um, then, and I know that they're, they're, they're not hitting the green in regulation and they can't get a wedge on the green, then that gives me some idea where we might need to start. You know, if they're a mid-70 shooter and we know we're hitting X number of fairways and greens and this, then we can go to the specific areas that need improvement in order to lower their score. You know, so you know, so it really comes down to whether the student is a beginner or accomplished, but um, mainly the coming, the willingness and enthusiasm to want to improve at whatever level they're at. Yeah, that's the key thing: is be ready to to um, have a conversation. Uh, one of the last things that I want them to do for me before we leave the lesson is I want them to tell me what we've learned today. Um, mm -hmm. What what have I told you that you heard that's going to improve your golf game? That keeps them on track. So then the next lesson comes back, well, how are we doing on the things we learned last week? Let's take a look. Be prepared to show me what you've learned and be prepared to show me how you've, how you've accomplished it. If we haven't, we'll try again a different way. But, but those are the things I'd like to see a student do at a lesson if they're a beginner, come with some enthusiasm and ready to, to do some work. If they're a, a player or, or at whatever level, bring me some ideas on how you're playing now and where you see your problems at, and let's see if those jive up with what reality is. Yeah, uh, again, great points. Um, definitely, you know, I, I agree. You know, you want to, uh, especially for your first lesson, I mean all of them, but for your first lesson particularly, um, first impressions are important, so you know you want to make sure you're arriving early, um, and obviously be dressed comfortably and and uh, and have everything there, clubs and so forth. And if you don't have uh, a set of clubs yet, then uh, certainly you can let your uh, pro know, and and um, they can arrange to have a uh, a set or, or or certainly a number of clubs available for you. I like to, regardless of whether it's new or 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 somebody that's a little bit more seasoned, uh, I want them to come early enough that they've got a few minutes to stretch and loosen up a little bit, maybe even hit a few balls to warm up. I don't care so much where they're going or whatnot. And this can be while I'm, you know, in another spot. They don't have to wait till I'm there. But I want them to be ready so that they're not just sitting there, you know, plunking themselves on a bench somewhere or uh, and, and just sort of waiting, you know, for me to, to show up. I want them to be actively doing things. I also I think it's important that, that you want to come with – maybe a few questions or topics that you want to address. And that goes to, you know, some things that we've all uh, mentioned here along the way, and that is, um, you know, certain areas that maybe they, they know they're struggling with. If they're a new player, you know, we're starting sort of that ground zero. But if it's somebody that's been playing for a little while, um, you know, there may be some specific areas. It might be their driving. It might be their short game, what have you, 
Um, but come with some questions, and don't be afraid to ask your, your coach or your, your uh, pro uh, some of these questions uh, along the way. And, you know, he, may, he or she may want to uh, address certain questions right up front and then maybe save some for a little bit later on through the lesson. That's, you know, really how the conversation is going to uh, go from the beginning, how you want to do that. Um, I also recommend that they bring some form of a journal. I mean, with electronics now, a lot of people can just, you know, type things up in their phone or what have you. Um, but bring some sort of a journal to, to keep track of any notes or things that, uh, you, you know, takeaways, if you will, key takeaways that you want uh, as you work towards an action plan for moving forward. Um, Pete, this one here is, is sort of we're, we're deep in the lesson. Um, you can certainly, uh, in addition to a, a mini-interview, um, I think it's important that they answer questions truthfully um, about their game because there's nothing worse than somebody saying, oh, yeah, I, you know, I, I've done this, and maybe that was 10 years ago, um, but they're not doing it now, especially their distance that they're hitting with their clubs. I mean, that's always one that we find that they're a little bit uh, uh, off on. Um, but during the lesson, um, are there any specific things that you're looking for that you want them to do? Um, or is it just more or less, here's how we're going to proceed, and I just want you to be like a sponge and absorb? What, what do you do during the lesson um, that you want to make sure that students uh, are, are mindful of or certainly um, engaging, what have you? What is it that you want them to do during the lesson? Well, I, I use what my dad always used when I was growing up as a kid is the question test. And so what I'll do is I'll, I'll ask them a question and then they'll give me, you know, some feedback and then I keep asking questions and I just keep doing it. Um, and that, that is to get them to repeat back to me as Clinton was just talking about the understanding of what they're trying to do. So as we're moving through this and they're starting to hit shots and they're getting better and they're starting to make, you know, better contact and they're starting to achieve what we're working on, I want them to be able to verbalize back to me exactly what they feel they're doing and to make sure that they understand it and they can tell me if it's a good shot or if it's not a good shot. You know, if they missed one, I want them to be able to verbalize back to me exactly what happened and now what are you going to do on this next one to correct it. So I want them to have that understanding. So it's, it's, a, it's a two-way street. I've got to get them to understand that uh, so that they can learn to be able to come back to me and tell me what's going on, but they also can understand how to fix it themselves. Because I want them to be able to do that, because they're not going to be standing behind them all the time. So i got to get them the understanding of why do they hit the shots they hit, and then what's the roadmap to correct it once they see what they see. Because the ball's always going to tell them exactly what's going on. They just have to learn how to listen to it. And, and that's one of the things I always like to get them to do. You know, I'll tell them right off the bat, I said, my goal here today is to get you to listen to what the ball's telling you. And, and you've got to be able to, to, to verbalize back to me exactly what's going on. And that way they hear it, they repeat it, they say it. Um, you know, I love the thing about taking notes too, but I want them to, to, to have that, that understanding and, and be able to tell me what's going on uh, as we're moving mm -hmm. through the lesson. And I think it just gives them a clearer picture of what's, what's going on and but a clearer understanding of what they're trying to do. Yeah, let me let me just go back and preface that for a minute. I don't want people to misunderstand. I certainly don't want you to be sitting with pen and paper in hand throughout the whole lesson. Uh, obviously, there's an appropriate time, but maybe at the end of the lesson, you know, take a few moments to make notes, and, and then that's a good uh, time to follow up questions oh, sure. with the instructor to make sure. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't want to just clarify that because I didn't want people to misunderstand what I meant by that. Yeah, you, you want them to be attentive and, and involved and engaged in certain things and not sitting there just, you know, um, it's not a test where they're taking notes and preparing for 
uh, you know, exam at the end of the week or something like that. So, yeah, I just want to clarify that so people <laughs> understand. But you, you, you bring up a – right. <laughs> you know, it, you, you raise a, a very interesting point, and I want to inject something that happened this week. Um, you know, you talked about you want to be able to get them to a point, and obviously they're coming to you for, for certain things and, and uh, wanting to be able to um, uh, help them with, with areas of their game. But you also want them to have a sense of uh, an understanding to a point where they can do certain things for themselves, be able to you know, auto or self-correct a little bit. And it raises a very interesting question. This past Tuesday, of course, as you both know, um, I do another show, The Women of Golf, on Tuesday mornings uh, with uh, my good friend and, and co-host Cindy Miller, who's an LPGA professional. And we had a young lady from the Epson Tour uh, by the name of Polly Mack from Germany. And she raised a, a really interesting uh, point, which goes to, and you'll understand in a minute, Pete, something you just said. Um, her main coach is back in Germany, so she doesn't get the chance to see him all the time. They do communicate and obviously exchange videos and whatnot. Uh, but he specifically said, I want to get you to a point that you will be able to work through certain things and be able to fix them yourself. Because you're going to be over here in America, you're going to be playing uh, on tour, and I'm not always going to be there afterwards or even before. Certainly maybe on a call or what have you, but there are certain things that you're going to... So he wanted to get her to a position, and obviously she's a much more skilled player than our average uh, high handicapper, but nevertheless, he wanted to help her get to a, a, a position that she would be able to work through certain things on her own and, and correct or autocorrect, if you will, um, so that she wouldn't always have to go to him uh, or somebody else uh, every single time. And that doesn't mean that you want them to do away with the lessons entirely, but you also want them to be able to, to um, uh, sort of go through certain things on their own, and as long as they have an understanding, and uh, make those few you know tweaks in that when they're practicing at the range on their own and, and that sort of thing. So I just wanted to mention that, because it was very interesting, um, you know, at the pro level, you know, they're obviously out there on their own, um, and they have to be able to do certain things. Not that they're going to make great changes uh, while they're playing it around, but if there's some simple tweaks here and there, they need to know to be able to do that. If something starts happening out there in the golf course, they know exactly what it is that they need to do. And if it's something major, then that's something obviously they're going to work with a little bit later on. But if it's something minor that they can tweak right then that's going to uh, you know, get them back uh, you know, to ground zero, as it were, um, that is something that they want to be able to do, and I think that's something that is going to help uh, some of our high handicappers as well. Um, sorry, I went on there a little bit too much, but um, Clint, I want to come back to you on this one because I think this one is extremely important. All of this other stuff that we've talked about tonight really doesn't mount to a hill of beans uh, if they're not going to get out there and practice, and I think it's important, um, do you not agree, that they need to practice as soon as possible. So if they've you know, been working through a lesson or maybe even a two-lesson, we've given them a, a drill or two to work on. We want to make sure they're going to go out there and not just sit in their laurels for the next couple of weeks. Give us your thoughts on this. Well, there, there's no question about that. What I try to do is to leave my students with enough golf balls and time that they can continue to work after I leave them right then. I want them to solidify what we're working on on their own while it's still fresh. Now, one of the things... Yeah, they have to practice. If they're not going to have an opportunity to work on things, even if it's at home in the backyard just going through the positions and motions that they need to, they have to do that. 
if they're not willing to do that, they're wasting their own time and money, and ours as well. So I'm very plain about that to begin with. If, if we're going to, if I'm going to take my time to try to help you improve with your time and your money and what we're doing, I'd be very frank with you. If you're not going to do that, then don't take golf lessons. It, it won't do you any good. It would be frustrating because you think you're going to get better, and if you don't put the time and work into it, you're not going to, no matter how good an instructor you got and no matter how many lessons you take, you're just not really going to get that much better. Now, with that said, let me go back to what you were talking about. I, I And Pete probably does too, is I videotape my students' swings throughout the lesson. Mm-hmm. Not all at the mm-hmm. beginning, not all at the end. That way, when I go back home and if i got some time, I'll review those swings to see if I missed anything. Because you can right. slow it down you get a better look at it. Now, one of my uh, students' mothers caught on to that, and she said, can I videotape the lesson? And I'm going, well, certainly you can. It's your time and your money. There's your lesson. And I now begin mm-hmm. to encourage all of my students to videotape our lessons. That way they have a record, something they can go back to, that journal you're talking about. Now right. it's in their phone in the videos. They can go back and review that lesson as we progress. If, if I don't get a chance to see them for a couple of weeks, they can go back and review the lesson as they're working and practicing to where they don't lose touch on what we really worked on during that session. I mean, it's a mm-hmm. wonderful idea. Now, not all instructors may want them to do that. It, 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 to me, it's a, it's a help for me as a teacher because I can stay on point and know I'm being videoed and we're going to do this really good. But on the other hand, <laughs> it gives the student, it gives the, the, the new students of our, our generation anyway, uh, or our time, what they deal with. It's in the phone. It's on video. They don't write stuff down. They record it. Right. They use videos. And so, therefore, if they have that lesson recorded, it's theirs forever. They can continue to refer back to it. Keith made a mention a minute ago about the path, how the path that they took to get better. It's in that video record. It's there for them. We don't mm-hmm. have to write it down and remember it. It's there. So what I would encourage a student to do, anybody listening out there, and instructors as well, Get your students to begin to videotape some of the lessons where they'll have it as that record of reference to refer back to when they're out practicing and being what we call being their own coach. That's what we really want yeah. to be able to do is to get our students to be able to their own coach to where they don't just revert back to some bad habits as we're as we're moving up the ladder. Yeah, <laughs> excuse me. Um, <clears throat> pardon me. Yeah, that's that's an excellent point, and you're exactly right. And that's what I'm talking about. That's why I said, you know, I mean, obviously for for those that are not as uh, you know, they're a little older, not as tech savvy, may not want to do that. But most people now are are pretty um, advanced with their phones and and know how to record and and so forth. But that that's a great point, I, and I think it's important. And I think for instructors, they should certainly. I agree. I think they should welcome that because um, it it allows the student and you, quite frankly to have a record of what's taking place, not just from an instructional standpoint, but what they're understanding. Because you're going to very quickly see um, whether or not they're understanding that the various moves that you might have uh, have them incorporate into their swing. Um, and, and obviously, uh, you know, we can't memorize everything either. So, you know, there might have been a question that they asked early on in the lesson 
Um, this and maybe didn't quite get fully answered, this gives you a chance to review it as well and say, oh yeah, you know what, we didn't really cover that as much as I'd like to have. Then it gives you a chance to put together some notes and shoot them a quick email back and say, hey, you know, I was looking at the video that we, that we did today uh, of the lesson and here's some, some extra things that I want you to be thinking about or working on. So I, I agree with that. I think that's, that's um, it's almost really a given now. And I think you'll find particularly um, some of the younger players coming up now um, I won't say they insist on it, but most of them want to do that because they want to be able to take it away and look at it and see whether or not you know they're doing things the way that they want to do it. And you know, I think there's probably a little vanity there too. I think some of them just like to look at their swings and you know, but who cares? I mean, if you know, <laughs> yeah, that's right. You know, I mean, if, it doesn't matter. If it helps the long as functional. Yeah, if it helps. Yeah, if it helps the process, and you know, if they want to throw it up on their you know Instagram or YouTube channel or, or whatever. Um, you know, they're welcome to do that. Uh, but it, it does. It gives you an idea of really taking a, a deeper dive into what's going on. And it also really helps you um, by reviewing the different steps that you're, you're going through, not just from your perspective, but from their perspective. You can really also identify, again, as if they're really understanding things. Um, and so by keeping an ongoing record, so each time they come out, they're, they're continuing the process, now you've got something to compare. Okay, so this is video one here. This was done, you know, August 1st. Maybe they've come back on the 10th. Now we've got August 10th. We're looking at some of the things. Yet yeah, they've been working on the drills. And also, it gives them an opportunity when they're not with you to be all do the same thing, videotape themselves when they're That's at the correct. range or when they're on the putting surface. And then now they can bring those back where they can fire them off to you through an email or, or uh, there's a lot of great programs. Pete, I know you're involved with a, a program where they can actually do that in real time. Um, and you're now going to get that data so that the next time you're coming, you can look at that and say, yeah, you know what, those, those are the drills. You're doing the drills co correctly and, or no, you're not doing them correctly. We need to do that. And that gives you an opportunity to brush up uh, on the next lesson maybe in the beginning to just do a quick refresher before you move on to the next point. But, um, no, I, I agree Absolutely. 100%. I think with, with what's out there now with technology, um, as we've talked about many times on the show, there's good and bad. There's sometimes it can be uh, abused or used too much in, in the incorrect fashion. But I think when and where you can use it, if it's going to benefit both you and the student, I'm all for it. Um, any final thoughts, Pete? I'm going to start with you. And then, uh, Clint, any final thoughts that you want to add that, we may have overlooked or, or uh, you just want to add uh, as far as uh, either side, from the coach's side or the student side. Go. Well, I think, you know, one of the things that I always do because I can, you know, when I'm going over the videos with them, I'm, I'm recording what we're saying. So as I'm going through there, I hit the record button, and then I have a program where they're all in there, so then I can just dump it into their, uh, into their space, and it's already there. So as I go through every video, I always record it. So the voiceover is on there. So we're, we're, mm -hmm. every video that we work through, um, I have the recording on that. So it's a great spot for them to have it and a great review for them to use. So I highly recommend that people do it. It's simple. It's easy. All you have to do is hit record and then, you know, end it, and then, then you're good to go. So you can put everything in because you can hear what you're saying and then their feedback when they're talking, so everything's in there. So I'd highly recommend that they do that. So, um, yeah, definitely definitely something that I, I think is, is, is really cool to do. Yeah, and, and, and again, also, uh, again, um, it, it's, it's a great tool for you to be able to work with the student through the process from start to finish. 
And then, you know, if they're coming back, you know, sometimes you might get a situation where, you know, they haven't, you know, they've gone off or business or whatever has taken them away and they haven't come to see you for a while and some of those old bad habits are creeping in. Now you can, you've got an archive that you can go back into and say, you know what, Bob, I remember back, you know, last year when you were here early in the season, here were some problems and remember here's what you were doing. And you've got, now you've got a documented uh, you know, video to show them exactly what they were doing wrong or what they were doing right, for that matter. Um, so again, that can work to your advantage uh, as well. Um, Clint, any final Absolutely. thoughts for you? Yeah, it, Ted and Pete, I think we've covered this pretty well, to be honest with you, throughout the the hour we've been together. I mean, great questions, and and it really comes down to some really straightforward common sense when you start looking for an instructor or from an instructor standpoint, how you deal with a you know just the the interaction and the the personalities and, and how a lesson works. And I think that the, the one thing from an instructor's standpoint, I think that Pete would agree with this, is once we get a sense that the student's getting frustrated, mm-hmm. it, it's time to take a break. It's time to move away. Yep. Yep. And, you know, let, mm-hmm. let, let's take our, let's catch our breath here and relax a minute and, and let's move forward. And I think from a student standpoint, when they're out practicing on their own, they catch themselves getting frustrated and tension alive. Go, go sit down, rest a minute, get a cup of water, you know, to, and just relax and then come back to it. It's not like you just mm-hmm. got to stand there and bang ball after ball after ball being frustrated. You know, cut the tension, cut the frustration, and start over. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, and to be honest with you, I think it's part of the process. I mean, it's just not going to be all automatically successful in creating his, this new and magical swing. There's going to be ups and downs involved in that process and time, and both the instructor and the student needs to be able to take a deep breath when it gets a little on the frustrating side when, like you mentioned about your grip, it doesn't feel comfortable. You know, this mm-hmm. is not working right now. Maybe I should just back up and let's, let's try a different one. From a student standpoint, I think very quickly that if it's not working, cut the frustration. If you find from an instructor's standpoint that maybe this, it's not quite getting to the student, it's imperative for us to back up and try a different approach to the same idea. Right. Um, yeah. And right. there, therefore, we can connect with the student of what they can connect to that's not so frustrating for them. It was a great discussion. Yeah, and, and again, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah you've, got to, you've got to be willing to. Yeah, you've got to be willing to adapt. Uh, both as the instructor and also as the student, and I think there was a lot of great points there. And, and, you know, really one of the reasons why I like to talk about things like this is because, you know, a lot of students, especially new students, are very intimidated, you know, coming to the lesson team because they, you know, maybe they've never worked with an instructor. They're, you know, a little bit gun-shy, as it were. They're not sure what to expect. And I think, you know, helping to ease their mind a little bit and saying, you know, it's, it's, a, it's not just, you know, you're coming and we're going to tell you what to do you've got to be engaged as well from a student's perspective. You've got to be engaging in, with questions and not be afraid to ask. And you've got to be especially, uh, I think it was Pete, or I'm not sure, maybe both have said this uh, earlier on, but you've got to come open-minded. There's nothing worse than you know coming to uh, uh, a lesson, especially your first lesson, and you've been watching a bunch of stuff online, and you're coming with not the right questions, but just a lot, well, you know, I watched so-and-so, and he did this, and then, but then I watched so-and-so, and they did that, and then they're, they're actually more confused than what they need to because they've gone and they've seen two or three different things. Some are from valid instructors and others are just from some, you know, YouTube guy that, you know, is yayaing on the, on the channel uh, about what he or, you know, or she can do. And sometimes that can work against you as well. So uh, some great points. Um, Pete, go ahead and let the folks know if they want to reach out uh, as we wrap up and then Clint. 
Okay. Well, thanks again, Ted, for having me on. Clint, it's always a pleasure to chat with you. I always enjoy it when, you're, when we're on together. They can reach me at PeteBuchananGolf.com. All my contact info is there, so a very simple thing to do. And uh, as I've always said, you know, just let's start with the question. If, if you want to take some instruction, drop me a note. Let's get a conversation going. And uh, through that conversation, we can, you know, set up something to work on your game. So, again, thanks, Ted. I appreciate it. Always a pleasure, Pete. Uh, Clint, best way they can reach you. Yeah, uh, best way is Clint Goff at 001 uh, at com. And like I said, Pete said, just drop us a note. It's been a great. It's been the the last two or three shows we've been on Ted have been wonderful. I mean, the 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 insight that we that you have and the questions that you ask is 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 great. We see it every day on the lesson tee. Uh, you bring it to the air where we can discuss it and get more people to understand what they need to be doing to improve on the game and and I think hold their instructors accountable as well. So it's it's a um, it's a it's a great show. The conversation is wonderful and. Uh, Look forward to it uh, later on in the in the year to be on again. Thanks, Pete. Well, I, I appreciate it, guys, and and you know I think it's important that you know we're we're learning too. I mean we're learning certain things as we go along. Uh, the industry is always forever changing. We have to be willing to change with it, and the only way we can do that is to open up that dialogue between instructor and students and keep that dialogue going. Uh, and as especially as we get uh, newer students coming and younger students coming out to the lesson tee. Um, and, and through other forms of medium, uh, we've got to be able to have those conversations. Otherwise, we just we stagnate as well. So it's not just the students learning, it's us learning as well. Guys, as always, it's a pleasure. I appreciate you uh, bringing your best, as always, on the Coach's Corner panel, and I'll see you guys both next time. Yeah. Right. Good thanks, night, everybody. Good night. Good night. Good night. All, right. All right, thanks, guys. All right, that was Pete Buchanan and Clint Wright joining me on the Coach's Corner panel. We're going to be right back here in just a moment with my very special guest of the evening, uh, Kyle Groth, the co-founder of Whiskers Laces. We'll be right back after this brief message from Golf Tips Magazine. The following ad is sponsored by Golf Tips Magazine. Are you tired of being short off the tee? And what about those three putts? Forget about it. It's time you got serious about your game. Golf Tips, the most in-depth magazine in the industry. For over 30 years, Golf Tips has delivered expert content such as the latest golf instruction from America's top pros, simple to follow practice and game improvement drills, fitness and mental game tips, equipment, training aids, accessory and apparel reviews, golf destinations and travel tips for every budget, and so much more. Don't miss a single issue. Go to GolfTipsMag.com and subscribe today. All right, welcome back, and I'm very excited this evening to be joined by tonight's special guest. Um, his name is Kyle Groth. He is the co-founder and CEO of Whiskers, uh, designer and manufacturer of premium a la carte shoelaces for men and women, uh, available in a wide array of solid colors and patterns. Uh, Whiskers laces perfectly fit dress, casual, and golf shoes, of course, as well as sneakers and boots. In growing Whiskers to become a fashion and accessory staple with subtle color pop, uh, Groth uh, leveraged society, uh, society's self-expression and personalization uh, movement among major celebrities, uh, professional athletes, and everyday active lifestylists. Um, prior to establishing Whiskers in uh, 2018, we're going to talk more about that, uh, he was a successful entrepreneur in the spirits and technology industries and holds a degree from Cornell University and played uh, on its uh, baseball team. Uh, so please welcome my very special guest tonight, Kyle Groth. Kyle, good evening and welcome Thanks to Golf so Talk Live. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Well, good. I'm, it's a pleasure to be here. I appreciate it. I'm 
glad to have you join me. So before we get into um, some of the specifics, um, you know, I, I don't know how much you might have heard or, or as we followed up uh, on our discussion here with the guys just before you came on, um, but I think it's important that, you know, particularly I'm an instructor as were the other two guys, but people in the golf industry have to be willing to, you know, everything's changing. I mean, we're seeing so many changes in every industry, and the golf industry is no different. And I think it's important that we're uh, open-minded to some of those changes. And you guys have really come through with something that really most people probably would not have thought of. So I want to just, before you get into the specifics and, and sort of the details behind it, talk about how you decided to sort of the reasoning behind tackling this particular area of golf. Sure. No, I'd love to. I think if um, if you would have told me probably six years ago that I would be in shoelaces, I, I probably would have said you were crazy. Um, but I've, <laughs> I've always had a passion on on finding those those kind of overlooked categories or at least white spaces in categories and, and figuring out ways to, to play around and create brands that, made sense, had a home, and, and we could have a lot of fun with. Um, and I was always fascinated by the stock revolution right? and watching that mm-hmm. category transcend from really that black-white commodity-driven category uh, and watching stand, or brands like Stance and Bombas and uh, yep. many others really transform that category um, to where it was late 2016 where I, I ripped a pair of my dress shoelaces uh, when I was down in Austin visiting my brother-in-law and went on the hunt for a better pair of lacers, or at least a replacement pair that wasn't the standard kind of Kiwi uh, laces you'd find in a supermarket, and I just couldn't find them. And when I finally did, they were that, like, cheapest version of a shoelace that you could imagine. And right. <laughs> that's when it really hit, that, that nobody's in the space. It's an essential but overlooked part of the wardrobe that I don't think anybody has really thought through in, in centuries. Uh, and so once, once it hit, the, the more time that passed, the more excited I got about it. I went down probably about six months, like shoelace rabbit hole, pulling all the data I could and exploring who was out there and who was really thinking about this category and how they were thinking about it. And it really came down to, there were a, a few footwear companies that, that were offering different colored laces, but they were still thinking about it as that commodity buy 10 for $10. It was your cheap cotton lace that's still going to rip um and so i just started playing around with what we could do and how we could have some fun with it and i knew very very quickly that i didn't have the product chops uh to create a a line that people would get excited about and and really get deep into how they're made and the weave and the materials uh, and was fortunate enough to meet my co-founder mike gossett who just he's been in, in footwear for 20 plus years at nike and crocs and in product innovation. So he came on board and uh, that's when we, we launched in January, 2018. What's really interesting about this. And again, I want people to really understand this, you know, when we think, I mean, I've been, as I'm sure you probably have, um, even despite we've had a couple of rough years with the, with the pandemic and that, but uh, I've been down to, you know, the PJ merchandising show in Orlando and in, in uh, you know, every January for a number of years. And, you know, we see a lot of fashion. We always see, you know, the shirts, the shoes, or, you know, belts and flacks and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, there, there tends to be a predictable pattern. You know, they might mix up the colors a little bit, uh, maybe some newer materials and that, but it's pretty much the same thing. 
but what I notice about uh, I was what was really interesting is I went to Pinehurst uh, a few months ago, and Pinehurst mm-hmm. is a very traditional you know uh, place. I don't know if you've ever been or not, but um, what was really interesting is I saw a lot of young. Um, both men and women, of course, uh, out there playing, you know, really getting into the traditions of the game. But they were very stylish. And what was really interesting, and I, and I can't say for sure that they were your shoelaces, but what I looked at was their shoes. And what was interesting is their, there was style about them. I think that the demographic is changing in golf. I think you're right. I think that, you know, that sort of going down that boring, and I'm not – Nothing wrong with traditionalists, but I think that you know golf needs to evolve in all facets, not just the playing side of things, but also in in how we present ourselves. And I think the younger generation—you're obviously younger than I am—have uh, really grappled onto that in so many other industries, and now it's starting to weave into the golf uh, industry. And I really like the product that you have because it's not just a matter of throwing a bunch of colors together. As you said, it's actually about providing a better quality product. And believe it or not. When you come across people, people look down at your shoes. And if you, Absolutely. It's true. I mean, it's true. They look at your shoes. You know, they're checking you all. They're looking at your, what you're wearing and stuff. But people will look at your shoes. And it really presents an opportunity to kind of make a statement. Does it not? No, it, it absolutely does. And that's what, I think that's been a really fun learning about being in the shoelace space is, um, to your point, right, one thing we sense that, said since day one is shoe contact before eye contact uh, right but we have seen with laces um i think what's really fun about laces is that you can be loud with your shoelaces and there's still just this subtle pop of color right it's not like wearing right very loud pants or a shirt um there's still just very just a subtle pop depending on what you're wearing and we've seen kind of what we what we've come out with um really really resonates no matter what your style is right subtle or loud um it just depends on the person and 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 i thought that was really fun when we first launched we actually didn't launch with any kind of what we call our our boring collection like our blacks our browns our whites because we wanted to get the brand out there we wanted people to see them and we really started to see those colors pick up and of course blues really uh and then we started to see purple pick up and pink pick up um, and then when we did launch black and brown, we thought nobody's really going to care. Um, and then those immediately became top 10 colors. I think just because when you spend a lot of time thinking about an accessory that nobody really does, and you can create a more durable, uh, a dur- durable product, people will come and, and pay a premium for, um, something that's going to last and looks a little better. Yeah. And, and obviously quality, it is extremely important. It doesn't matter what you're doing, whether it's laces, you know, other products. Uh, it's got to be of quality, uh, and it also has to be affordable. It can't be so overpriced that you know it, you, you leave out half the market. Um, but it also has to represent the fact that it is a quality product. So you want it to, you know, the price point is obviously something that I know you guys had to look at very carefully. That you're not going to, you know, somebody's going to say, well, wait, well, what, you know, what, what am I doing here? I'm paying a fortune for this. So I know that you had to think very carefully about that. But to, to go to my point, I think it gives people an opportunity for a number of reasons. We've seen for years, for an example, um, you know, from a collegiate standpoint, you see people wearing their collegiate colors. Um, you know, whether it be in a shirt, they might, you know, if they're a football or or baseball or what have you, um, you know, they're going to wear their their you know college team 
jersey or or colors of some sort to represent that hey this is you know uh, this is my uh, uh, you know where my uh, um, eye is focused to I guess is the way so you can actually do that with the laces as well very, very subtly but at the same time it gets the point across and I'm sure that's something that you guys have thought about and the reason why I bring that up is when I was on your website um, you guys did something again very subtly but it gets the message across of certainly what you wanted and that was you put something together to donate uh, for the Ukraine relief and civilian support uh, the yellow and blue laces which obviously is representative of the colors uh, that they hold uh, in Ukraine um, and of course the profits uh, um, are, are being uh, donated and so forth but um, you guys did something like that, which is very identifiable as soon as you see them, right? No, absolutely. And 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 to the the team color aspect, um, we started. So when we first launched, we launched in dress shoes, um, very intentionally to just because on our end it was a black brown shoe category that we knew we could disrupt with color and get a lot of learning learnings under our belt and figure out where we wanted to go, what consumers were liking. Uh, and then start to expand from there. And um, very quickly, we launched in January. Uh, by April, we were getting tons of inbound demands for college colors. Uh, and so right. by football season uh, in 2018, we released our college collection. And, and I think it was a fun way, especially being primarily in dress shoes in year one, for we saw a lot of bankers, lawyers, uh, doctors oh, yeah. buy laces because it's a good way to show some some team support and and a pop mm -hmm. of color without uh, without getting fired. <laughs> well, it, exactly. I mean, you can you can walk into the boardroom, um, you know, in your suit and tie if that's what you're wearing. You know, if you're at a high profile company like a, a major bank or financial institution. Um, but as I said, you look down in your sneakers uh, or your your dress shoes or what have you, and you've got a little pop of color that's representative of something that's important to you. So they can still get the, the message across uh, and let you know those that can visually see um, a, an idea of, of where their where their heart is, as well as obviously in the boardroom. Um, and I think it's great. And and I knew that when I first heard about whiskers that that was something that you guys. Um, would gravitate to because that is something in all clothing lines everybody does that because that's something that's important to people again you know if you spent four plus years and in in, uh, in college um, you know you develop for the most part you develop a, a kinship if you will with uh, you know with your school and uh, and support the teams and and so on and so forth so you see you know I've seen people 60 70 and beyond that are still sporting those colors in some fashion um, still supporting those teams, and they've been long gone from, uh, you know, their collegiate days. So, um, you know, it, it's a win-win for not only them to be able to have access to that, but for you guys to be able to fill that that uh, necessity. So, talk about a little bit about the quality, because you mentioned that earlier, and you said that, um, you know, this is something that was important to you is not just sort of coming out with a bunch of colors. You wanted to make sure the, the quality was sound. So, how did you guys go about doing that? Sure. Yeah. So, one thing and and it's a good thing Mike came on board because otherwise we would have a whole different collection <laughs> in front of us. But uh, Mike, Mike Gossett came on board, and the first thing he did is he said, we want to release – everything that we release should have a purpose in your closet. And so every, every new re release we've come out with has had an intention in mind. And so he's really spent a lot of time dissecting sizes, dimension, weaves, 
material across all categories. And so that's why we separate our, our laces by category is that um, they all had, had a shoe in mind, right? Or at least a category of shoe in mind. And that's how they were designed and, and, and constructed. Um, and so whether you're getting dress shoes, sneaker, um, boot, golf, they all have slightly different weaves, slightly different uh, mix of materials, and slightly different aglets, which is the end of the shoelace as well, um, right. depending on what we, we found was the best fit. Um, and so we, we make all of our laces um, here in the U.S. and North Carolina. Um, and then um, through the pandemic, right, it was, I think, hard on every industry, and us especially, we said, all right, Let's let's make sure people are still buying shoelaces when they're just sitting at home and not wearing shoes. Uh, and mm-hmm. we were we were lucky enough um, to do well through the pandemic. But that's when we really wanted to hone in and, and update all of our products and, and packaging to where uh, our goal as a company was. And so we we made a transition over to North Carolina, uh, updated the materials so that all of our uh, polyester is made from recycled plastic bottles. Uh, all of the cardboard is recycled, and then we found our laces come wrapped around this, this spool, um, a little wooden mm-hmm. spool. And we found a nice, uh, sustainable birch farm in Maine that's been producing, um, producing these for hundreds of years or at least over 120 years. Um, and so we really wanted to focus, make sure that the product hit home, uh, was a product that we really wanted to create. Uh, and then along with that, it's updated slightly some of the, the weaves and, uh, designs and colors around that. Yeah, and you, you raise something that's really, I think, important as well, especially in this day and age as, you know, we become more and more um, focused on things like climate and, and so forth. It's important that the products that we're putting out there uh, are coming from a good source, not just necessarily a supplier, but somebody that's thinking about that as well and saying, hey, we're using recyclable products, this sort of thing. Um, so that you know you're doing your part to, to sort of help the environment, and I think that's important because that goes well. And again, it, it's happening. Everybody's starting to recognize that, but particularly um, the younger generations coming up are that's first and foremost. I mean, obviously they're excited to have um, you know a variety of different uh, products out there, but that's an area that is um, very very important, particularly for the younger generation coming up now, is that we're being good stewards of our environment. So it appears certainly um, from what you've discussed and what I've seen on your website that you guys uh, have been on top of that and, and kudos to you and, uh, and, and the rest of your, your group for, for doing that. Um, I think that's, that's important. Um, so one of the other things that you mentioned also is that you offer a variety of um, laces for different shoe types and so forth, but um, obviously golf is an area that, that you guys really want to put a, a sort of a big push on, uh, particularly here in, in 2022. Um, what has been some of the feedback that you guys have gotten? And I also note that you guys are, are sort of adopting uh, a push as well among some of the PGA players and their caddies. What has been some of the feedback generally that you've gotten, and what particularly have you heard back from maybe some tour players or, or uh, their support uh, caddies and so forth? What's been some of the feedback? Sure. No, it's been golf has been a blast. Um, I, I grew up playing, and so I was excited. And very early on, right, we, we launched – uh, with dress shoes and then just the overlap with the dress shoe category and the golf category is so heavy that we immediately started getting um, inbound inquiries as to when we're going to release golf laces. Um, and so we, we actually did, we came out with a small golf test in 2019 to really just gauge consumer feedback and figure out 
what players liked, uh, what weaves worked well, what, what styles worked well. And then especially the golf category is interesting because you kind of have two different styles of shoe. You have more of that classic foot joy dressier mm-hmm. style of shoe that is a smaller round lace and then the newer athletic style shoe that's more of a flat athletic lace. And so we wanted to make right. sure we really nailed that and didn't, didn't come out with a big collection that just didn't, <laughs> didn't make sense. Uh, right. And so this year has been a lot of fun. So we really January was when we started to make a big push. Uh, we, we released our collection that we, we were excited about. And then we've, we've had great, great feedback. We're starting to see a week after week uh, on the PGA Tour, we're seeing more, more players. I think there were three in the top 15 uh, last weekend. Um, wearing some of our camo laces, and uh, it's just been a lot of fun. It's been fun getting player feedback and then caddy feedback, and a lot of it goes with we've seen a lot of um, demand around either college colors. Um, some players are asking kind of for country flags as well for some of the international sure. players, and then um, some colors around their foundations as well to support uh, what they're doing on the charitable side. But it's it's been it's been fun seeing them on TV and. That's been, I think, the most fun is now seeing them in the wild. Uh, this week I saw just a, a random person in the airport wearing whiskers and <laughs> walked over and gave them another <laughs> pair. So it's been uh, – it's, it's fun just seeing them out there. Well, yeah, I mean, for any entrepreneur, it's always exciting to see people um, enjoying uh, the products that you're, that you're putting out there. One question I always have, and, and this is something that's always been a pet peeve of mine when it comes to laces, and I'm just wondering if, if, if this was something that you guys looked at or had feedback on. And, that. and one of the things about laces was it didn't matter how tight you tied them, they always managed to come loose a little bit. Is there anything that you have come across or that you can do in, in the development of these laces that help them stay a little bit more snug um, you know, not always having to, you know, double uh, knot them and all that sort of thing to keep, you know what I'm talking about. Because a lot of times, especially with <laughs> the dressier shoes that have a thinner, uh, more round, tend to come loose a lot. Um, is that just, a, you know, the nature of the beast type of thing? Or is there something in the technology of, of developing the materials that you use that can help prevent that from happening? I mean, it may happen eventually, but maybe less often with using the proper uh, materials or better quality materials. What, what are your thoughts there? No, absolutely. It, it's something it, – it, usually it's in the construction and material of the lace. And so like those traditional, like, 100% cotton dress laces, those will – they'll come untied unless they're the wax laces. Um, and right. so that's something we've, we've tried and I think Mike has done an amazing job at is, is looking at each category and figuring out the right amount of stretch and material to go into whether it be the round, flat, or oval lace to stay tied. And so that is one thing we pride. It, it sounds funny, but it, it's one thing we pride ourselves on is the fact that our laces don't come untied. Um, and part of it has to do with the aglet. We've, we've played around with, with different styles of aglets. Like our, our dress laces all come with metal aglets. Um, and right. then our sneaker and golf just have an extra wrapped aglet. And we, we played around with metal there, but they are a little too clunky and they would actually, if you're running or walking around all day on the course, they would actually just pull and, and start to pull them untied. And so that's why we have those different styles is to make sure that you're not constantly bending over and tying your shoes. Yeah, because that's something, I mean, like I said, that's always been kind of a pet peeve of mine, you know, over the years. It doesn't matter, you know, what, uh, you know, what sneaker you buy or what dress shoe you buy. Um, you know, 
you, you're walking along and all of a sudden you're looking down and one of your shoes is, is loose and, you know, and the, the laces are flopping around. And it might sound like, you know, kind of a very simplistic thing, but, you know, if you're playing, um, you know, 18 holes, and especially if you're a player of a higher caliber and you're out in the PGA or the LPGA Tour or what have you, the last thing you want to have to do is drop down to your knee three or four times around and tying them up because that's a, that's a nuisance. It's an inconvenience. And I could see that where – and so it might sound very simple to, to the listeners saying, well, you know, it's not a big deal. Well, it actually is. If, if your shoes are not comfortable and if you're constantly having to, to you know, adjust them because things are loosening up all the time, that becomes a problem for a player, especially in a – Yeah, in a absolutely. Because you're, absolutely. you're walking. And even – even caddies. I mean, a funny story for you is we, when we were first developing our golf laces and, and testing out different designs and different aglets, and everybody loved the metal aglets that we had on our dress laces. And uh, a few years ago, we actually we, we um, donated a bunch of red, white, and blue laces caddies at the Ryder Cup. Um, mm-hmm. And it was kind of our first test lace in, in golf, and they had the metal aglets on them. And the feedback that immediately came back was, by the 18th, we're retying our, our shoes two or three times, and so we immediately shipped some new ones out there with different aglets that solved the problem. But it's those little things that make such a big difference that you want to make sure you nail and you come out with, with the right product. Otherwise, you, you end up with uh, a bunch of laces on your hand that no, nobody really wants to, <laughs> wants to wear or constantly tie. Right, and, and, you know, and you mentioned something earlier, too. I mean, there's a lot of cheaper versions of things out there um, that you can certainly get, and, and you know, there's nothing wrong with that. But, again, it's the old saying, you get what you pay for. Um, but, you know, you guys have really taken a, a very interesting approach to a product that most people probably would have never given a second thought to. Um, but now, as I said, the, the markets are changing, the environment's changing, and people are wanting to sort of put their, their own personal little, um, you know, uh, imprint, if you will, on, on their style and, and the way they present themselves. And you guys have really done it in really a very subtle way um, when you think about it. As I said, I mean, you can, you can have your generic khaki, you know, shorts or, or slacks and, you know, maybe you can funk it up a little bit with a, a, a colored shirt or what have you, um, but you can really add a little zip um, having some very creative uh, laces into your shoes, even if you have very generic golf shoes uh, or other shoes, obviously, but in this case, we're talking about golf. Um, and that can make a big difference in, in how you're presented. Um, would you agree? No, for sure. I think probably one of the most fun things we do is just we'll go through at the end of every week and read every review that comes through. And I think one that really stuck was uh, we had a review recently from our golf laces on a golfer row back that it gives him the ability to stand out but not get kicked out of his, his circle on the course, which <laughs> it, I thought perfectly summed up what we were trying to do. Right. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, you don't want to necessarily, you know, draw an, an unflattering attention, but it, it certainly can start a conversation. And again, people do. I mean, it's it's a known fact that people do. Um, more often than not, we'll look at the ground, especially you know as we walk around and whether you're in a city or what have you. And most people, unfortunately, we're probably not good for uh, our, our posture in that, but people do kind of look down, and that's something you see: our shoes. And all of a sudden, yeah. you know, you know that, like you said, that little bit of pop um, can strike up a conversation, and um, it, it adds to the accessory that that people have. 
um, you know, uh, to their attire that they're they're golfing. And obviously, it's it's something that you guys uh, have put a lot of thought into, um, and are continuing to do. So, how do you decide? Okay, you obviously have um, your team colors that you're looking at doing and and have done, and then obviously special interest where it could be for a charity and things like that. But your general overall collection. Um, do you guys look at wanting to introduce new things, you know, maybe a couple times a year, once a year? What's the thought process there? Yeah, we um, we have a pretty pretty robust product roadmap just because we're in so many categories right now. Um, mm-hmm. And the way we try and look at it, especially if you take golf, um, the way we we try to launch our our initial collection was to look at kind of what what the most popular shoes were, what are the most popular styles across men's and women's. Um, first kind of cover the bases and then start to project out some of those complementary colors uh, that we can add on to that. And then uh, Mike on our team is is probably the only person I know that gets excited when the, the new Pantone comes comes out for the year as a new <laughs> Pantone color. And, and really just geeking out on, on what the new trends will be next next year and what we can do around that. And even new releases is, is just keeping a finger, or a finger on the pulse of, of what's coming out so that we can introduce new laces that complement those shoes as well and then just give golfers and, and people uh, the ability to, to just really uh, add a subtle pop of color and, and some self-expression to them. And, that, and that's across across all categories. We have some um, some fun new sneaker laces as well, and we're starting to get into sublimation that I think will be a lot of fun in, in the golf category where we can get kind of loud and tropical on, on some of the new ones as well. So how do you stay on top of the pulse? What what do you do? What do you guys do to sort of, um, you know, obviously you're reaching out, I'm sure, through social media and you're, um, you know, looking at uh, different areas of industry and that to find out. But how do you find out what's going to be, you know, coming out in 2023 that you're going to say, okay, we want to make sure that we're in- incorporating that into our lines? Sure. There's, there's ways, and especially Mike's connection and, and the 15 years he's been at okay. Nike, he has – access into a lot of what what they're coming okay, out with and I we have a, a lot of great partners in the in the apparel category and in, in in the space as well um that'll give us sneak peeks into what their lines are and then we're starting to do some more collabs that you'll see um coming on board in 2023 with some of those bigger brands uh releasing specific laces and patterns with their um with their apparel as well very good and obviously as um we know with a variety of different uh, shoes, and not just golf shoes, but other things that you do, uh, comes in a variety of, of uh, lengths. How do you know what length you need for what, what product? It, it, that was probably when we were first doing research on the category, I think that, that was the biggest barrier for most people uh, on buying laces. Is usually you would go to a footwear manufacturer's site and you would find laces tucked away in the accessories tab and they're on their website. And then you click and they would say, what lace, what length do you need? Right. 27, 33, 45, 54. And you just have no idea and kind of give up at that point. Um, so, right. so what we tried to do was really, and we've bought, I, I think me and Mike's rooms are just stacked with shoes of, of all categories. Um, is really find out what those those more universal lengths are across categories. So usually it depends on the style of shoe and then the number of eyelets mm-hmm. uh, in that shoe will determine the length. And so on our site, we try and be 
try and make it very intuitive based on what type of shoe you're buying for. Um, just an easy way to find find that length, right? And so we have we have laces anywhere from um, 23 inches up to 72, uh, but that all mm-hmm. depends on whether they're chukka boots or boat shoes or dress shoes or golf or or high right. top boots. Uh, it all varies, and so we try and break that down easily based by shoe category. Uh, or if you know that length already, we have it listed out by length as well. So you you obviously. So how you've essentially addressed that is, again, you've got the individual length for those that are maybe a little more savvy and know what length to get, um, but you, you've done it, you've parceled it out in a sense during the, um, with the various different categories. So if somebody goes and says, okay, I've got some golf shoes, I've got a, um, you know, more of a classic, uh, you know, uh, golf shoe length, you know, length uh, golf laces, then you've got that on there and, and obviously a more athletic golf lace. Uh, that's going to maybe be a different link. So you've got that set out there. So they can just go on the links on your website under those ca- different categories, and you can pretty much lay it out for them and help them uh, with that decision. So if they don't have to know the, the exact lengths or measurement of that lace, you're able to help it out through the website, correct? Exactly, yeah. And, and in golf uh, specifically, right, if it's the classic style shoe, it's either 33, typically it's 33 inches for men or 30 for women if you have kind of an average size foot. Um, and then the athletic size uh, is about 45 inch for men and uh, 42 for women as well. Very good. Um, now you obviously um, have a few other things that you have available besides the laces. Obviously, the laces is sort of at the forefront, but you also have you mentioned socks earlier. So there's obviously some uh, very interesting socks as well that you guys uh, make available in a variety of different colors and and patterns as well. So it's not just the, the laces that are, are popping out, but the socks are as well, right? No, they are. And our, our socks are also all made in, uh, in North Carolina out of um, recycled plastic water bottles. Um, and really what's on our site now is we try to provide that, like, the, the kind of the starter set of socks um, that matches to most of our most popular colors. And then we'll be releasing some new socks here in the coming months. Um, but that was really our first test to see. We, we got, uh, we, we had quite a bit of consumers reach out about socks. And so we wanted to throw it out there knowing that there are a thousand sock companies and a lot of people have their brands that they love. Uh, but what we, we wanted to really do was provide some complimentary socks to our laces that were a quality sock and had a unique kind of fit, feel, and purpose. Uh, and we're excited about the traction we've seen so far. And so uh, we'll be releasing new styles and on lengths and patterns as well in the sock category. And you can also, um, what I found very interesting as well, is you can also bundle some things. So uh, you can uh, do a lace and sock bundle. So there's a lot of different options that you make available as well. So it's not just strictly the laces. If they want to get the socks as well, you have ways of bundling it together uh, as well. So um, you guys obviously have put a lot of thought into um, the process. I mean, you've been doing this now for, for a few years, obviously, so you're starting to, to get the, uh, the feel under your belt. Um, what do you see moving forward? What would you like to do? And, and obviously your, your partner as well, you've uh, put a lot of thought in it. Uh, without giving too many secrets away, uh, is there something else that you guys uh, are planning on or that maybe you can share a little bit with us or do we need to wait for another time? Yeah, no, I think our main focus really is 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 really pushing the the lace category. I think we've seen some really fun traction out there so far, especially this year in the golf space. 
And so what we want to do is continue on the, on the back of that, start releasing some new colors, patterns, designs, uh, materials as well as we're playing around on the innovation side. Um, and then our goal, right, that our, our North Star is for whiskers to become synonymous with shoelaces, right? We're, we still don't see very many folks spending much time out there, any other companies spending a whole lot of time in the shoelace category. Uh, and that's mm-hmm. where we really want to live and start to transform. And we see there's, we think there's a lot of fun we can have in it, just from not just from a color standpoint, but also material, um, and and start to push it and, and have some fun with it. And um, there's some new products outside of laces that that will be um, coming out with as well. But uh, really, our core is is to really dive deep into shoelaces and uh, get get customers on board and have some fun with it. Well, and you've got the, really the the perfect um, platform to do this on coming into golf, particularly because you not again not only have the men's tour, uh, you know, at various levels from the PGA down to some of the other uh, um, what we call in golf the sort of the feeder tours to the to the uh, bigger tours, but um, you have the LPGA and you know Epson Tour now and some of these other tours now, and I would imagine in addition to the guys that you have uh, a pretty big following of, uh, you know, girls and women that, that enjoy your products as well, correct? No, absolutely. And it, especially once we got into um, really sneaker and golf is when we saw that consumer uh, start to shift, right? When we were primarily mm-hmm. just getting learnings under our belt and, and proving out that we could, that people were excited about shoelaces in the dress category that our, 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 kind of sweet spot consumer was the 65 year old man. Um, right. And then once we launched off, that's really uh, shifted a bit and then skewed. It's probably 60 uh, male to female right now. And so, yeah, there's, there's just so much, so much fun. The feedback we get from the customers and the photos we get, we had uh, a customer last month send us photos. He redid his whole closet and the whole centerpiece was, showcasing the spools of like the 50 pairs of laces he had that he swapped out every day and just seeing wow. seeing things like that and the excitement from customers out there across all categories is just that's what keeps us excited and going yeah and, and again it, it becomes um really part of the fashion process i mean I, again you know we have our, our sort of typical uh brands and clothes and things like that uh shirts and whatnot as i mentioned earlier um but you guys are really attracting a whole new, um, or I should say attracting, you're actually um, introducing a whole new category that probably a lot of people never put a lot of thought into, but they are now um, because of what you guys are doing. Because people, again, uh, you know, want to be, and I hate to use the word trendy or, or fashion forward, but, you know, th- that's the truth. People want to be a little bit more, um, you know, showcasing you know, who they are, and sometimes doing that through uh, something as simple as shoelaces uh, gets the point that they want to get across. And I think you guys have positioned yourself very well in that market. And it's going to be interesting to see as it continues to grow, and it's particularly in golf because, as I said, golf has not done a lot. Um, I can attest to that um, over the years. Um, you know, certainly some fashion has changed, but uh, mainly on the on the women's side of things, but the men's has been a little flat. So it's kind of interesting to see that this is uh, uh, an area that uh, might uh, might just change that. So uh, kudos yeah, to you and your partner for that. Thank you. 
No, thank you. I think when when we were first concepting Whiskers and creating the brand and the first product line, and I would tell friends and family and colleagues that we were working to come out with a the shoelace brand, I got a lot of rolled eyes like, oh, like good luck, good luck, right? And then I think right. when, we, when they saw the product is when it really opened people's minds, and, and, and that's when people said, oh, I absolutely get it, right? And um, it, it was fun. Fun doing the research and figuring out where those those barriers to purchase were for folks, and a lot of times it was the length. A lot of times it was if you buy a pair of shoelaces, you put them in a drawer, you're going to lose one, like a pair of socks, and so that's why we wanted to to include that spool. Um, right. And then then the other one was just we got a lot of feedback, like who's going to spend the time to to relace their shoes, right? And then once we got people to do it, they realized how quickly you could do it. Uh, yes. And 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 now we have so many of kind of the the naysayers in, in my my friend my friend and family group and <laughs> colleague group that uh, early on are now changing them out either every day or every week or once we come out with a new design they'll they'll see it and say that'll be perfect for this exact shoe and throw them in there and there's it's fun to see just how people uh, people react and how people use them. Well, I hope that your um to the naysayers earlier on. I hope you're selling them at a higher premium to those folks uh, for for not uh, <laughs> getting on board from day one, especially your friends. I hope you're sticking it to them a little extra. Um, I'm just teasing. Um, so what's really interesting, and, and I kind of understand where it comes from, but I, I just wanted you to explain. How did you come up with, with the name Whiskers? I think I, I know that, but I'm just curious. How did you guys decide to come up with the name Whiskers? It's very creative. <laughs> Thank you. No, we went through... We it, it took us some time. I'm also terrible at naming uh, pretty much anything, and so <laughs> naming is, is something I try personally try and stay away from. Uh, and it actually uh, it stuck one day. It was actually my dad who who sent it over um, it, because we were sending we were doing polls among friends and and everybody we knew sure. on some of our top names. Uh, and actually, my dad sent it through, and and as soon as he said it it just stuck. Um, and so right. whiskers to us is we had this kind of, um, cause our packaging is a little more modern and, and we had this wooden spool, um, yep. and we couldn't find like the perfect feel for who we were as a company, just the four of us when we launched. And as soon as we heard whiskers, it was like, a, it makes total sense, right? They look a little bit like whiskers on your shoes. Um, right. they have a little bit of that flair, um, I think everybody in the company has a dog or a cat. Like it just it just hit home, and we said, "Let's let's go for it. Let's let's make it make it known we're not a, a, a pet company, but we're we're selling shoelaces." And uh, <laughs> I think we've done done a good job of that. Well, it, it yeah, I mean, it, it's it's very creative for a lot of reasons because again, you're right. Even if somebody is thinking, "Oh, okay, this is something for my pet," and they get on there, either way, however you get them to your website. Um, is is as they say in golf par for the course so um no i think that's good and, and uh you, you obviously uh i hope you're cutting your dad a little bit into the uh into the profits for for doing that but um <laughs> well so obviously we're going to tell them now where where can they go for for those that uh, we've been talking about it for a while now where can they go to purchase them where's what's the website um so our core site is just whiskerslaces.com um, and then we also have whiskersgolf.com as well, specifically for, for golf. Um, okay, so that's, that's really the main place to go. We have, we do have some 
country clubs and courses and, and retailers out there kind of spread out across the country and, and more coming on board, but primarily that's uh, where folks are buying them is just whiskerslaces.com. Perfect. And, uh, again, I can't emphasize enough, I mean, the fact that you guys have really stepped up and, you know, using a lot of recycled products and making them here in the U.S. Uh, obviously is a, a big plus as well. Uh, for convenience, not only for you, but for customers as well. And they'll have to worry about overseas shipping and things like that. So uh, certainly coming in anyways, uh, hopefully you're uh, getting some interest uh, abroad to, to go out. But um, I think yep. it's very good. I think it's a great uh, product, uh, Kyle. I think you guys have done a fantastic job. I, I really like the website. It's very easy and uh, uh, to navigate around and all the information there they need. And I think it's a great product. I think, you know, it's just, again, another extra breath of fresh air into an industry that's, uh, I can, for one, tell you at my age, uh, long uh, is long overdue. So uh, great job on, on your team and, and uh, for doing that. And I appreciate you coming on um, the show. No, thanks so much for the kind words. And, yeah, thanks, thanks for having me. This was a blast. All right, I appreciate it. I hope you'll come back again and, and join me on a future show as you've got more things uh, coming out down the pike. I uh, hope you'll come back and... and uh, and share some of the, the new things uh, that you guys are going to be doing as, as uh, things move over. And hopefully maybe your partner will be able to join as well, and, and we'll have uh, uh, an even more robust conversation. But, Kyle, thank you very much for coming on tonight to Golf Talk Live. I appreciate it. Uh, again, uh, for those of you tuning into the broadcast, go to whiskerslaces.com or whiskerslacesgolf.com and uh, check out their collections. Uh, some great stuff there. Thank you very much, Kyle, again, and I appreciate it. Thanks so much. Take care. All right, bye-bye. All right, it was Kyle Groth, the co-founder of Whiskers uh, Laces. Uh, again, check out their main uh, website, whiskerslaces.com uh, or whiskersgolf.com, uh, I believe it is actually, whiskersgolf.com uh, is the website. And uh, it, they are very, very good products. Uh, uh, some have been shipped out to me to uh, try them out, and uh, they're definitely good and, and uh, very good quality um, as he mentioned, and uh, make a great gift as well. We've got uh, birthdays, holidays, and that all year long. It makes a great gift and uh, adds a little splash of uh, color and, and other things as well uh, to somebody's wardrobe. So uh, on that note, I want to thank you guys for joining me tonight on Golf Talk Live. Again, a special thanks to Pete Buchanan and Clint Wright for joining me on the Coach's Corner panel. And uh, again, a special thanks to Kyle Groth, uh, from Whiskers uh, for joining me uh, tonight here as my special guest. On that note, I will see you next week here on Golf Talk Live. Thank you for joining me, everybody. God bless, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this week's broadcast of Golf Talk Live. We'd like to thank this week's Coach's Corner panel, and a special thank you to tonight's guest. Remember to join Ted every Thursday from 6 to 8 p.m. Central on Golf Talk Live. And be sure to follow Ted on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you're interested in being a guest on Golf Talk Live, send Ted an email at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network.